Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, the show where we talk about exclusively Watford FC. My name is Matt Messiano and joining me today is football analyst Jordan Weimer and football journalist Tom Burnell. Well, Watford won for the fifth time in a row for the first time since 2015. The score finishing 3-0 in the end. And uh, coming into this one, Jordan and, and Tom indeed, we uh, we were a bit worried, weren't we? Because without Saar and Zinkenegel, both of whom have been great, Philip Zinkenegel in particular recently, uh, we, were, we were worried that maybe the result would be trickier to achieve but um, I think what this shows is that we really do have the depth in this side to, to go out there even without the best players in the side yeah I think it does I think we we were quite solid from the off and we just didn't really give Birmingham too much of a of a foot into the game I thought I was a little bit surprised they weren't quite as aggressive and, and proactive as I thought they might have been um, given the situation they're in I could have seen them coming to, to Vickers Road and being a little bit more positive I think as the game went on they got a little bit better at that but that first half, I thought they were a little bit slow and it gave us the opportunity to kind of take control of the game. And yeah, as you say, considering the players we're missing, I thought we did a really good job of actually kind of keeping that that trend of being quite attacking and having that free-flowing football in the final third. And I thought it was quite a professional job, but yeah, again. Watford got underway quickly, Tom. A, a powerful shot from Jao Pedro that was well saved, to be fair, but then turned in from close range by Ken Zimmer to score his sixth of the season. Too quickly for me. I was uh, I'd just come back from a, a walk and I sat down and you'd text us to say that they'd scored already. So I actually missed it at the time. I've seen it since subsequently, of course. Um, it was funny, really, because the first... Obviously, scored that goal and then I think Kiko put in a cross quite soon after, didn't he? Which was cleared away and Messina had a chance from a corner and what have you. And it felt like early on we were, you know, we were kind of creating a few chances and that was going to set the, the the tone of the game, the kind of pattern of the game. But after that, I don't know if it was necessarily that they came back into it so much as we didn't exploit those opportunities. And given, you know, where they are in the table and what have you and the form that they've been on previously, you kind of feel like if we'd have got a second one fairly quickly, that would have probably um, killed them off. But they they kind of, they made life a bit harder for us. From, from that point, didn't they? Which I suspect was the kind of impact of Lee Bowyer and obviously that win in, in midweek against Reading and mm. the kind of tails being up. But overall, it was um, it was a pretty comfortable, convincing performance. And given, as I say, the kind of concern we had and the fact that Jordan dedicated some time to watching them in advance to see what they were about under Bowyer, it was, um, you know, I think we made fairly professional work of it, if not light work. I will say that um, I know they're at home when they played Reading, but I think it's kind of somewhat a testament to us that they didn't approach the, the game against us with the same confidence as against Reading. They were much more aggressive, much more kind of proactive in that game. Um, I, I think they had they had to come to us and maybe had a little bit more respect for what we could do on, on the counter-attack if they were to press like that. Um, but we, it's actually kind of unfortunate for them. I do think they had a better chance against us if they were playing in that manner because when they were, we, we saw that there was there were some opportunities for them, um, especially when they kind of got that ball on the right-hand side and Halalovic was you know making some good crosses and their front two are, are dangerous. So it's, it, it's, a, it's a situation obviously worked out well for us. Um, but as I, as I said, I think it shows that teams are going to respect the kind of threat that we have even when we're, when we're missing two of our most creative players. So... Yeah, really, really impressive. Yeah, but Birmingham were definitely in the game, weren't they? And especially in that first half, um, Harley Dean had the chance to, to head to head home, but he sort of messed that up a bit. And then a really good opportunity presented itself to, to Jeremy Bella, but Chalibur lunged really quickly and decisively to block the shot. But uh, they they certainly you know had the chances themselves, Birmingham. There was a mass in the block too in there, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, yeah. 
Yeah, they had some good opportunities. It wasn't, it, it wasn't a bad half from Birmingham in some way. I mean, you could argue maybe in some ways they they were a little bit fortunate themselves not to not to be more than one goal down. But I think they did a decent job. They definitely grew into that game, especially in that first half. They did as the time went on, they looked a little bit more confident and. I thought actually the pitch kind of helped them a little bit more. They managed to get the ball down and they were playing. They had some nice little kind of phases of play where they had some good interchange in midfield and they actually looked a little bit a little bit better. But it just, yeah, I mean, I think we just overpowered them, didn't we? Before the first half came to a close, Isaac Success, who uh, was starting the game, had a good opportunity to make it too. It was a nice little interchange actually between him and Summer. But when he got the ball back, he couldn't quite get the ball in to his feet in the right area to shoot. Perhaps he should have hit it first time, to be honest. Did that kind of moment... Tom, sum up Success's day, like a, a, a good willingness to try, but just not quite good enough on the day? Yeah, I think so. Actually, it's quite a nice way of summing his, his afternoon up. I don't think he was bad by any means. You know, it, it showed, I think, and you could tell that he was a bit ring rusty. You know, he's had kind of three substitute appearances, hasn't he? And, and, and then thrown in and look, it was great to get some minutes into him and in, a, in a game like that and in, you know, first team environment rather than the under 23s or whatever. Um, you know, if we're ever going to make proper use of him, then he needs to be playing ultimately and for us, hopefully, but in this country at the very least. And um, that chance, I just, you know, the, as we've seen with Andre Gray, and obviously we'll come on to talk about him, but the world of difference a goal makes for a player's confidence. If he'd have just, if he'd been able to stick that one away, I suspect, you know, we might have seen a, a more impactful performance from him and maybe he wouldn't have been kind of pulled off around the hour probably was always the plan to only you know get an hour into him given how long he's been out but I, I mean I'd be interested to hear what you guys thought because we had a little bit of debate didn't we in our WhatsApp group about this at the time I thought there was enough on the ball from Semmer that if he almost opened his body and directed it in off the, the sort of instep first time then that would have probably been enough to carry it home Jordan I think you reckoned it was probably a harder chance than I was making out yeah, maybe I have to watch it again. I'm not sure if my memory's kind of faded a little bit of exactly what happened, but I'm picturing the ball coming to his feet almost slightly kind of in his stride, not behind him, but kind of towards the back of his stride as he's taking it. So I, I kind of felt like his best chance was to take a touch there, but he was he was quite quickly surrounded. So it was, it was a difficult one. I think I, I've got sympathy for that. I think maybe if we're talking about success chances, it's probably the one he had later on where it kind of turned into that one-on-one. He took the heavy touch. Um, mm. which which was perhaps a little, I think that was the better of the two chances. Um, he he obviously was further out and he he had to make a good run to get there, which I think is worth noting too. He did make a good run; it was held nicely, and he he found the space and got in there. And it was just that heavy touch. But also credit to him; he just came back from an injury and he didn't he didn't pull out the challenge. He went to try and get that ball after the heavy touch, and he was actually quite fortunate to come away unscathed from the from the tackle from Etheridge. So he he. He, I think, as you say, he wasn't he wasn't great um, by any means, and he li- he did look rusty. I think is the the right word to use. I think that's exactly what he looked like. Um, but I think judging on that one chance is maybe a little unfair. I think there's other parts of his game which he could have done better on, which maybe are more glaring than, than that one opportunity. Even though it seems like a bigger one, obviously there's a chance to score. Um, but I, yeah, I've got sympathy for him in that that situation. How was he deployed yesterday, Jordan? Was he was he through the middle or was he on the wing? Well, he was kind of him and Pedro were kind of switching around quite a lot. He he played quite centrally. It was 
it's actually one, it's quite interesting. It's one of the days or one of the games, sorry, that we actually kind of focused more of that attack on the left. And obviously that has a big part to do with Saar. Um, when you look at the average positions of the players for that that game, there's a lot centred around that left-hand side. Uh, success and Pedro quite narrow in there, tucking in and, and getting involved in play around there. Obviously Ken Semmer. Um, and that's kind of the, the area we look to exploit. So as for, in terms of success, he was he was quite varied in his positioning. Um, I think predominantly it was from, meant to be from the right-hand side at first, but obviously as the game went on, they, they kind of can move around and, and have that freedom to interchange. And that's something we talked about too previously with, with that forward line. If you have the, the, the right personnel in there with Pedro in that central role, he's more than capable of drifting into them wide areas. And there's no reason why any of Semmer's uh, success, if he's playing Saar, can drift into those positions and still, you know, be effective, and and that's really that's really something that's useful because it makes it extremely difficult for defenders, um, especially when you're playing against the Birmingham side that, that they've got a back their, their back four can be quite rigid at times, especially those central two. Um, I think that they did struggle with that, and that's kind of what led to that change in the second half. They they switched themselves at the back to to a three at the back system to try and compensate a little bit. Yeah, in that second half, Watford did uh, eventually manage to get the second goal. That was the nice cushion for them. And uh, we spoke earlier just briefly about um, Chalaba's great block and his uh, sort of defensive side of the game. But to, his whole work rate was was great again, wasn't it? And, and ultimately, it was it was him that scored the, the second. It was a set piece that, that Chalaba said that they had worked on in training. And, you know, he lost his marker and then ran around the back and headed it home. And it was a lovely, lovely movement to score the goal. And, you know, that... Like we like we said earlier, how um sort of that moment earlier for success kind of summed up his game. That moment for Chalaba really summed up his game. It was a uh, it was sort of the uh, the icing on the cake really of of what was a really good performance from Chalaba. Yeah, he was excellent again, wasn't he? And I, I threw this out on on Twitter afterwards because I've been so impressed with him, and I have been in you know three or four games now in quick succession. You know he he does the word that has been thrown used and has been used by other people is swagger, and it just feels like he's got his mojo back. You know in the last few weeks and I said you know what I wanted to understand was what other people thought was the factor behind that was it simple as being captain I I don't think it's that alone but it probably feeds into it a little bit is it the fact that it's Will Hughes now who's being asked to play that Etienne Capoue kind of position as the deepest of of the midfielders and and you know really sort of try and set the tempo and dictate the play from there is it the fact that he's just you know finally he's had a season you know for the first time really since he's come back he's had a season where he's played um week in week out which is uh, personally I think probably is bigger factor as any other um you know or is it kind of a combination of all those things because I thought he was you know he was really excellent he he won the ball back Several times he used the ball uh, well, which is something that, you know, has been kind of levelled at him in the past, that he's been a bit sloppy with his passing. But I thought, by and large, his passing was pretty good again yesterday. And he's just, he, you know, he's got those long legs and he just gives us a little bit of, little bit of drive in midfield as well when he can get away from people if he's under pressure. And it was, I just thought it was a really good performance. And the, the block and the goal were two really big moments you know mm. if those go the other way and they you know get the shot off Jeremy Bella gets the shot off goes in if the header doesn't go in it becomes a completely different game and it was I thought it was a real captain's couple of captain's months and a, a captain's performance from him so yeah. I've given him plenty of sort of criticism over the last season and a bit but uh, this you know last month or so you just you can't fault him I don't think can you I wonder Jordan do you think he prefers playing in a three do you think that that sort of um that position 
is really much more suited to him working in in a midfield three and and is it sort of no coincidence really that his performances has improved since that change in formation yeah i think it does give him it does give him a little bit more freedom um he, he was playing that really kind of defensive ultra defensive defensive midfielder role effectively he was playing in that that deeper position he very rigid in his game under Ivic. Um, I think having him kind of play in that position with a three kind of gives him the op- opportunity to get a little bit more advanced. But I think for me, I think Chalaber is, uh, we've touched on before, I think a lot of his issues have come from just, there's so many factors to play into it, but it, it always seems like Chalaber's problems were in his head. It never felt like anyone questioned his ability. Uh, I think he's in the right environment now. I think, as you say, about him being captain, I think that plays into it too. He's in a team that's playing, you know, good, quite relaxed, free-flowing football now to an extent, and that helps his game too because it allows him to to play at, at that pace and that level, and he's able to make mistakes a little bit. And I think he was so conscious for so long of not making mistakes and playing within himself that we we really saw it kind of hold him back a little bit, and he seems to be playing now again with that ease. Um, as you say, yesterday he was good defensively. He got some really good blocks and he covered the ground well. And, and when he gets in those forward positions now, you feel quite comfortable that he's going to take a touch and, and play the ball out wide and, and, and be pretty pretty comfortable in doing so. I think previously, if he, if he did have the ball in that situation, it's quite often you'd see him he'd think about where to pass and he wouldn't be sure. So he'd hold the ball a bit too long and he'd end up having to like shield the ball and, and win the foul. And that was kind of, we kept seeing that repeatedly where now everything's just a a touch faster, everything's just kind of playing much smoother through him. And that's exactly what you want from Chalaba. As, as you say, swagger is a, is a good way of describing it because it's exactly what it looks like on the pitch. Um, and then in terms of uh, the actual goal itself, I think it's worth noting again, we talked about in the previous podcast against Rotherham, it looked like we were trying to do a few little different things, our set pieces. I know Zinkenegel touching his head for the corner was was talked about, um, but it does show there are some little differences going on. And just before that um, before that goal, we saw Adam Masson have a chance to back post from a, from a set piece and uh, a similar situation. It was actually a very similar routine to the one that, that Chalaba scored from where they deployed uh, a blocker in there. And in, in that situation where Massner missed the chance, it was actually Chalaba that was, that was there to block Massner's marker as he spins around the back and, and give him that open that open lane. Uh, exactly the same thing happened for the second goal and it worked perfectly for Chalaba. He got, he got that space, he wheeled around the back and uh, yeah, that was scripted. It's not it's not come out of nowhere. It's not improv- improvisation. It's, it's a worked on uh, a worked on routine on the training ground. And that's something, again, we discussed. If we're trying to get promotion, you, can, you need these fine margins. You shouldn't be underestimating the importance of set pieces defensively and offensively I think yesterday we, we did a really good job of exploiting an area which had been a problem for Birmingham in defending set pieces so I'm quite pleased with that as a whole yeah and you mentioned you both both actually mentioned the uh, the captain's armband that uh, that Chalibur's got at the minute and um, Paul Robinson actually spoke about this in in the in the pre-match uh, discussion uh, and Troy Deeney joined in and uh, I think Paul kind of even asked Troy like you know is it is it great that we've got so many uh so many players now that um that can kind of take that leadership leadership role and and um you know Troy was you know was pretty uh pretty positive about it. You know Troy is undoubtedly the the figurehead of this team and he's you know is a great leader and has been a great leader and you know I think leads by example as as much as anything else. But the fact that he's been unavailable you know at the start of the season and then. Uh, for a large chunk, you know, it's probably by the end of the season, it's probably going to have ended up being a large chunk of um, the second half of the season as well. It means that the, the onus has been shared around, and I just don't necessarily think we've had that in previous years. Or the players that are kind of leadership figures haven't been as involved or able to kind of 
come to the fore in the way that they have this year. We you know we were just talking a minute ago about Chalabar being in and out. You know, Hughes wasn't necessarily a regular for parts of last season. Um, you know, so I think Nigel Pearson was the one that really kind of reinstated into the, the both of them, I think, to the team week in, week out. Um, you know, those guys have, have both done it, but I also think there are just there are characters in there now who have who have stepped up and it, it and to be honest it might be a bit of a kind of placebo effects of what the fact that we're able to watch every game in uh you know with the 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 audio from the the crowd off um you can kind of hear who's loud and we we know we talked about Backman being loud obviously we know Ben Foster's very loud Truce de Kong seems to be quite a you know big character and you know does a lot of talking and so on and even even someone like Messina, I think as well, seems to be quite um, mm. you know come out of his shell maybe a little bit in in recent in recent times. So yeah, I th- you know you can't you can never have too many leaders. I think in a in a squad in a dressing room, can you? And and uh, to be fair as well, despite there was obviously a reasonable amount of turnover in the summer with with players departing one way or another. But I think the, you know the guys that we're talking about here have been a bit talking about now have been here for a while and have been able to sort of settle into, you know, Chalabar returned in 2017, didn't he? You know, Will Hughes joined the same summer. You know, Messina has been here for three seasons now. So, you know, it's, it's great. And ultimately we've, we've touched again on this a couple of times, but there's going to be a day where Troy isn't here or isn't a, you know, week in week out first team regular and someone's going to have to step up and, and, and lead this lot. And it, it bodes well. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a really good thing as far as I'm concerned. Do you think fans put too much of an emphasis on, on, on who the captain is? Is it, is it, is it much more of a, of a, of a bigger deal for us fans than it is for the players themselves. I mean, I'm thinking back to games that I've played and I've never played anything more than Sunday league level, but I'm sure there are games I've played where I've not even known who the captain was or even really cared that much. I mean, I wonder if the, the players themselves really don't, uh, I don't know, really mind too much. Does the captain have a big deal or a big say, Jordan? I think, the, I think the biggest the biggest role of the captain is is not really what he does for 90 minutes on the pitch. I think... I, if you're talking about a professional group of players, there are certain qualities that that, that captains have that you might you know you might want in it on the pitch at that time. But I think a lot of these guys kind of operate and conduct themselves in the same manner, regardless if they're wearing the armband or not. So you have leaders on the pitch outside of who the captain is. Uh, obviously, the captain has the responsibility of you know, communicating with the referee, and he has a little bit more of a opportunity to do so. So that might play into it. And obviously, there are some people that really do take up um, captaincy and, and take in their stride and it means a lot to them. It changes the way they play. I think Troy Deeney is probably an example of that. Um, but the biggest role of the captain, honestly, is, is what they do off the pitch and around the training ground. They, they've got a big responsibility and I, I think that's kind of where you see the most and that's maybe where you might kind of have that, you might put more importance on what they do off the pitch as captain, how how that changes the the, the complexion of the squad. And, you know, there's, there's, so, there's, so, there's so much that we don't see of the team that, when they're around each other and uh, all the things that go in their day-to-day stuff, we don't really get to see, but the captain's quite quite important to those those things and those those training sessions and, you know, away trips, the hotel, there's, there's so many factors. Um, so for me, I think whoever's on the pitch now, I think Troy Dini's the captain, of course, he's the club captain, but whoever's on the pitch, if you can give the armband to someone where it raises raises their levels a little bit or it gives a little bit of added responsibility which maybe you think they might thrive off then then give it to that person I think that's what we're seeing in Chalibre I think we saw it in Cleverly um, I, mean, I think we're seeing it in Chalibre I don't, I don't look at them perhaps as the most 
outward vocal or the guys that you'd necessarily point to as being like out and out leaders, but they do have uh, a benefit when you give them the armband. And I, I think that's that's worth that's worth doing. Good stuff. Um, in the second half, Birmingham had less clear-cut chances, but Lukas Jukovic was still a handful, and um, he even got a shot away that uh, sort of hit that black bar at the back that sort of helps hold up the the goal net. And uh, I, you know, I think, and and it's weird saying this because obviously Birmingham lost three 0 but I think if Birmingham play in that way for the remainder of the season, that they're going to be okay. I think they're a team that have been reading around it and and what have you. And we saw the the Harley Dean celebration. You know, I think they're a team that have just been freed by not being coached by Tokaranka, basically, haven't they? Who I don't think for one second is a bad coach, but evidently he wasn't popular there. And what he was trying to do, you know, did not work. Just reading a bit on Twitter from the kind of Birmingham fan bases, you know, I don't think any of them miss him. And it was it was very obvious, and we talked about this on the last show, but it was very obvious that when Lee Bowyer came back, he was he was, you know, very popular figure at St Andrews and uh, you know, just that lift. I don't I, when we were previewing the game, I thought, you know what, they've got some decent players. I don't think they've got a, an awful squad. It's a hodgepodge squad that made up of a lot of players that have you know, been bought in by different coaches. But, you know, Neil Etheridge was in the Premier League a couple of seasons ago, winning, you know, untold plaudits with Cardiff City. Uh, Scott Hogan is a very good forward at this level, scored a lot of goals with Brentford, got signed by Aston Villa for a lot of money. Djokovic is, you know, perfect for Birmingham in terms of the way they try and play. He's big, you know, he's probably one of the better sort of target men in this division and and so on and so forth. You know, they've got decent players. So there's, I, I think... They will be fine now without turning this into too much Birmingham of a Birmingham podcast. I think <laughs> I think they will be fine, um, even if Rotherham have obviously got uh, four games in hand on the teams down there, haven't they? Mm, they do. Uh, Watford's third arrived um, in the second half following a substitution. Gray and Ngakia came on and I think it was was it 34 seconds later the two had combined to score a, a great breakaway goal. The sort of goal actually that we thought we were going to get on a regular basis from Andre Gray when we first signed him, Jordan. It was, yeah, it's exactly what we were looking for, wasn't it? Um, great winning back from from Ngakia there. I think, as I said on Twitter, he's kind of doing what he does best. He's excellent at winning that ball back, and those one on one situations, he's he's so good at kind of coming out on top and yeah, instantly set off, set through Gray and yeah, Gray Gray took a, took a good stride and he, he took the ball down, he took the ball on well, and the finish was decent. It was it was a good goal overall, and it's a shame we haven't been able to see more of that um, from Gray. And it's not just down to Gray. I think there's been lots of occasions in the Premier League, especially where we maybe didn't have the players on the pitch that you felt would be looking for him in that situation. Lots of times, um, we, there's, a, there's a frustration that we didn't kind of have that that in, that sight to kind of look forward and look centrally and, and try and push that ball through when Gray's in those situations. But uh, yeah, it was an opportunity. We, we actually had to do that yesterday and, and Gray took it really well. Um, it's really positive. And yeah, it was probably Gray's first touch on the, on the ball, wasn't it? So it was really, really positive to see. And it, it shows that we've got different different dimensions. We can... We can utilise different players in different ways and on the pitch, and and that's something that could be important down the stretch. And it kind of feels like now Gray's kind of hitting that patch of form, and mm. it, we don't need we don't necessarily need to call on him every single game and, and from the off in every game. I, I still think Pedro is the way to go strongly. And I think Pedro was good again yesterday, especially we saw you know from that first goal he's dropping in deep and he has that shot and it leads to a goal. And I think that's kind of that's maybe more important for us. But having Gray. You know, coming off part of the bench, we've seen how effective that can be for us in the past. I know no player wants to be known as that sort of that sort of sub that's called upon in those situations, but 
if that's what he's effective at doing, then that's, I think, how we should use him. And right now, it, it seems that, that that should be what we should be doing going forward. And it, it's a much better situation to be in because previously when Gray's come off the bench, you've, it's been a bit of a, a disappointment at times, um, especially when Stupa Parich has been on the bench and we've kind of felt quite good about him in the past. Um, but it, it, it's a positive sign all around. Yeah, certainly. I think he's got the confidence now. And, you know, I don't think he would have scored that goal earlier on in the season. I, I really don't. So it's 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 great that he's um he's kind of back to it and probably for me I don't know about you Tom but do you think he he did enough there in that game to earn a start ahead of success if uh if the pair of Zinchenko and Sara are still out do you know what? I'd not considered that that's a really interesting question I it's hard it's hard isn't it I think you you kind of want to you don't want to just discard success in the same way that we talked about a few weeks ago with Gray you don't want to necessarily discard success but I wonder if um, uh, you know off his goal and you know he had another opportunity didn't he Get, he always gets in good areas whatever you can level at Andre Gray he always gets in good positions so yeah potentially if um, if we're still Salas for, for, for the Sheffield Wednesday game yeah I, d- I don't see why not I certainly wouldn't be opposed to that I agree with you I think you know it's the sort of chance earlier in the season he would have probably tried to you know, when his confidence was low, he would have probably tried to overcomplicate it, get nearer to the goalkeeper, might have miscontrolled it, whatever, you know, but that was the that was the finish of someone who'd scored 20 goals this season, you know, in terms of confidence, just mm. striding on and slotting, you know, it was a nice clean finish as well, wasn't it? It was textbook, um, textbook striker's goal. And, you know, I I said afterwards on Twitter, that's the sort of, as you said, it's exactly the sort of goal I expected him to score. And, you know, it might be my own sort of uh, lack of awareness, but I kind of, that was the kind of striker I perceived him to be when we signed him from Burnley all those years ago. You know, someone who is quick, who does sort of sit on the shoulder of the last defender and and, and break away like that. And he, you know, it was, it was just a, a really good finish. So, yeah, he's in a good, if he's in a good headspace, you know, someone who top scored in this division a few years ago, as we all know, yeah. I would, uh, you want to, probably try and build on that a little bit because he he can be an asset still. I don't think we should write him off completely. It's just that the future is is uh, is Pedro and, and Saar and, and Semmer at the moment. I think there's also an argument for in, in terms of thinking ahead to the next game. Um, if Saar is out, then that's, that's obviously a, a big issue for us. And if you're making that decision between success and Gray... I, th- I think if Zinkenegel's fit could play a, a role in that too. I, I think if you have Andre Gray in that central role and you've got Gosling and Chaba behind him, I, I don't feel that good about our kind of working our way into the box if there's a lot of pressure on that that wing area. Um, I think if you maybe have Zinkenegel in there instead, if Zinkenegel's available and he's playing centrally, I think then you can maybe accommodate having Gray in that forward position and, and you might be able to find a little bit more room there because you've got that creative player behind him rather than... When Gosling and Chad were in there, you really rely on Jao Pedro do- dropping deep and picking that ball on ball up and being a little bit more creative and bringing those wingers into play. So, mm. if he had Zinchenko there and he's able to feed Andre Gray a little bit more, which is what we saw against Wickham, he you know got a really nice assist for Gray against Wickham too. It, I think that partnership works a little bit better. I think it gives you a little bit more flexibility. I would be a little bit more concerned if Andre Gray starts in that in that central role with the two kind of more, you know, more balanced midfielders or less less creative midfielders behind them. And you've also got Jao Pedro playing a bit out of position if he's the one that's kind of moved out wide. And there's a lot of variables there. Um, but I think if you're going to play Andre Gray Central, you've got to have the players around and they're going to get in position to score because as we discussed multiple times, he's not really going to work those spaces himself and he's not going to offer you that same that same work on the ball that the likes of Pedro can. So you've really got to kind of tailor things around him being in the team. 
So then it was a, a great game and uh, a good win for Watford that uh, that made it a, a good day, really. And uh, elsewhere, events uh, ended up making it a fantastic day for Watford with Cardiff beating Swansea and Brentford being held to a draw. It, it now means that Watford are six points ahead of the Swans, who are in third. Both still have a game in hand, but um, after the weekend's results, should they... Should they both win that game in hand? As long as Watford keep winning, it doesn't really matter what they do with that game in hand, does it? It's, a, it's been a really good weekend, hasn't it, Dice? Yeah, ideal weekend for us. And we obviously had the uh, the correspondent who talked about Swansea's poor form. And, you know, is it sustainable? You just wonder now. They've had a couple of little blips in a row, haven't they? If if that that's kind of coming home to roost, two defeats um, in succession, only won two of their last five I think mentally knowing us it's a six point gap. So you're gonna have to, you know, win two, hope we lose two. And even then, you know, our goal difference is well superior to Swansea's at least. It's uh, you know, it starts to look quite I'm not gonna say imposing, but quite, you know, tricky to to overhaul. Mm. Um so yeah, I'm, it, it feels like it was an important weekend, doesn't it? I'm feeling Pretty confident, obviously, Sheffield Wednesday on Good Friday and then we've got Borough on Bank Holiday Monday and then it's, you know, that really is it. It's a, a tough run from there, isn't Very it? Obviously, tough run, isn't it? A, a trip to the kennel, the the other top three uh, in our final four and, and Millwall, who obviously we, we know are a tough nut as well. So it's not a great running, but, you know, blimey, I'm quite happy to be going into it with uh, the, the form that we're in. And and I don't know about you guys, but as much as it was gutting all those years ago to screw up being champions on the final day, I'll take going up in whatever guys this season. Second is absolutely fine by hook or by crook, whatever it is. We just need to get out of this division this season, don't we, for the kind of well-being of the club so I've got no um, sort of no pretenses about caring about being champions or not let's just get out of the championship I think also too when you look at the fixtures for the kind of teams around us look at Brentford's fixtures and Swansea's they're not easy um, no one's got a great run in. I, you could argue we've got maybe the toughest but Brentford have still got to play they've still got to play Cardiff Cardiff, which I think could be quite difficult for, for them the way they play I think Cardiff could could maybe you know grab something there they've still got Bournemouth away they're playing Bristol City have looked quite good under Pearson obviously ourselves Rotherham have you know they've got four games in hand they might actually be looking to put something together I thought they weren't bad against us um, especially if they're coming to Brentford and maybe trying to be a little bit more compact there's room there for them to slip up um, it, there's no kind of guarantees in that sense so I think the fact that we are six points ahead I know there's a game in hand but I think that's huge I think having those points on the board is massive for us and Swansea I, I really have not been impressed with Swansea and I've watched them at all um, I, I don't think there's I'm much more concerned about Brentford at the moment put it that way I mean that could be proven wrong because Swansea have miraculously put together the run they've put on uh, they've put up to now sorry but it's not something I don't I don't think it can continue really um, and even and them themselves they've got some tough fixtures too maybe they've got the easiest run in um, but I, I'm not entirely confident in Swansea I think it will be between us and Brentford now personally If we look at Brentford one of the, the things that i uh, pulled up in a, uh, a clubhouse meeting that we had, um, naively really, but um, I suppose I was looking at it with a, a hope that, that one of the Watford players could potentially uh, win the golden boot this season. I mean, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, but I, I, I always want one of our players to, to challenge for it anyway. But one of the things that I noted was that um, all of the, the, the teams in the playoffs at the minute seem to have that one guy who's who's really getting most of the goals for them. Obviously, for Brentford, it's Ivan Tony. And, and we were speaking um, 
to, to David, uh, who, who joined us on on the on the show, and uh, he he basically said he was a little bit worried that um, they didn't really have somebody else who was kind of helping them out in in terms of the goal scoring uh, jobs at uh, at Brentford, whereas Watford have have very much sort of shared out the responsibilities um, between the likes of Saar and and Semmer and and. Um, Obviously, Pedro's in on the act as well, and it's it feels like um, Watford are in a better place at the minute than than Brentford to 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 get the win from any area of the pitch. I just reiterate you're saying I said that on that clubhouse really quick, Tom, before you come in here. Um, also, I managed to go back and watch um, some of some of Brentford's previous fixtures and, and have a look at how they're kind of getting on. I watched their two-all draw with Derby um, from the other night as well, and yeah, I think that that focal point of Ivan Tony, I think it is somewhat of an issue because he, they are relying on him quite a lot right now for for their offensive production. And they're going through quite a turbulent patch. I think if you look at the fixtures themselves, you, you can see they're dropping some points. But obviously, I think when you actually sit down and watch the game, you can kind of dissect where that's coming from. And they are struggling to... They're struggling to find that balance in the attack right now and that they're being exposed a little bit. I thought the second half against Derby, Derby really, really kind of showed some of their weaknesses in the box. Um, they, they kept them quite pinned back for, for large portions of the game and and Brentford have, have a very established way of playing, but they're struggling to kind of adapt that right now when, when some players aren't, aren't meeting the standards that are normally required. Um, they're maybe struggling with a little bit of lack of depth as well to kind of rotate some of them guys out. So they're not in the best position. I'm sure right now they're feeling quite anxious about the that point difference that's kind of building up even though that game in hand is there I'm not sure how confident they are of, of kind of putting that, that run together even though they are entirely possible it, it's not as foregone as may, maybe it had been a few months ago when they had that great streak they managed to managed to go on um, in terms of the production the production for us I think I, I touched on in that clubhouse the, the more you can spread it for me personally the better because it, it gives you that balance and it gives you opportunities and different avenues on goal which is vital um, in, in the championship when you're going to have to be playing so many fixtures and you, you're not going to have your main guy every time um, even the season we got promoted last we had some real high goal scorers but that offensive production was still quite quite equally shared mm. or relatively so Troy Deeney and, and Agallo had 20 plus but Forestieri and, and Vidra are also on some decent numbers there too yeah. I think this team I think this team is built quite well to, to have a lot of different avenues of attack and I, I would take that personally I'd take that every time um, over having kind of that one figure that you kind of rely on in them goal scoring situations not just because if you lose him you lose a lot of edge but I think it gives you that variety and it keeps defences honest against you because they can't kind of allocate too many assets to that one area uh, without being punished elsewhere Watford though probably not winning the golden boot this season though unless Andre Gregg goes in the super <laughs> on the form from the, from the sub bench I think it's probably unlikely at this stage we probably had to score more goals last time, is what I was going to say, because I just looked it up. We conceded 50 goals that season, which was, you know, by no means bad, but we're on 26 at this point. So it kind of forced us to score more goals. And you looked, I just looked at the two teams, obviously, went up were, were us and Bournemouth as champions. We both, uh, both scored 90 plus that season. Well, the top two this season are obviously uh, Norwich and ourselves, both on 55, 56. You know the tighter defenses. You just don't. You don't need to score as many. It might not be. You know, we'll probably always look back on that season as more fun, not least for the fact that we were all able to go. And but you know the the kind of free flowing nature of it and some of those big sort of 
you know, the score lines that we racked up, the Fulham game, obviously, being one of those. But, you know, this has been a more maybe efficient way if we go up, ultimately. I don't want to put the mockers on it now, but it... You know, we've we've kind of we've started from the back almost, haven't we, this time around, and and been and been very solid. Not that I look back on that 2014-15 team as as being incredibly leaky, I should say. I think the championship as a whole has improved massively defensively over the last six seven years. I think you look at the standard of defending and the standard of coaching that, that's that's around now in the championship. It's it, it's a big big improvement, and I think you kind of really it's not easy to shoot your way out of it now. As you say, the top two teams, I mean, we don't feel like we've had that kind of high scoring season relative to the, to the previous promotion campaign, but Norwich, who have been pretty comfortable in a lot of situations, they've only scored one more goal on us. So it, it does show you that you can't go and blow teams away like you used to be able to. I know it's coming off the back of scoring four and three in the last two games, but in general, you're going to find it much more difficult to do so. Um, so I think having that balance now is, is a much smarter way of going about it. And, and teams that do just try and shoot the way out doesn't really work anymore. So it, it, it's, a, it's a smart, measured move to kind of shift things around a little bit and approach it in a different way. Rather interesting, looking at the uh, the other end of the of the pitch in, in the, the clean sheets, uh, Watford, they're not going to win it this season either because uh, because obviously we've used two goalkeepers. But the the leader at the minute is Freddie Woodman with 18 clean sheets. But Watford have uh, two players who each have nine clean sheets. So uh, potentially had one of them uh, had one of them been been in goal for the whole time, but it, it could be in contention. Uh, what what is interesting as well though is that Ben Foster has taken 22 games to get those nine clean sheets. Backman only 16. So I mean, in terms of you know, nine clean sheets from from sixteen appearances. I think that's that's got to be the the best uh, stat for a goalkeeper at the minute, just on the ratio side of things. That's an excellent return, isn't it? Mm. Um, I think it speaks a hot. I mean, that's the thing with clean sheets. It says so much about defence as well, doesn't it? And it I think does, yeah. for me, if you you have if you're if you're getting clean sheets um, and you're not, I think the important thing about clean sheets is you got two ways of giving them. We got clean sheets under Flores when he came back in his second spell, but they don't feel. They don't feel like a positive necessarily because you lose so much the other end of the pitch. I think the fact that we've been able to get clean sheets yet still be a threat going forwards and, and having some freedom um, in our play is is massive. So I think it's a it's a good reward, and you, you know you can you can put that next to our goal scoring form, and you can feel really really good about the situation. Um, so what in the context that it, it's in, I, I think we should be really pleased with Backman and just that defense as a whole. Can I just add to that and say that this season is, is, we've got obviously best defence, best goals against per 90, uh, obviously. But in terms of the shots on target we've faced, uh, we've faced 91. Next best is 106, which is Middlesbrough. Uh, and we've our keepers have made 67 saves, which is the fewest uh, as well. So I think that really backs up your point, doesn't it? That the defence is doing its job mm-hmm. to protect the goalkeepers and, and not just the defence, the, the, the kind of whole team, I suppose, because it does start with the front, as the cliche goes. Next up then, it's a bit of a break uh, for the Hornets. International fixtures looming. Uh, in action, uh, barring injury, are Andre Gray for Jamaica, Adam Messina for Morocco, Ken Simmer for Sweden, Daniel Backman has got a call-up for Austria, Kerry Kafkot, Northern Ireland, William Trustekong for Nigeria, and then some of the youngsters, Wilmot's playing for England and 21s, Critchlow has been selected for Bermuda, Bailey Spencer Adams for Guyana, who actually will face uh, Dan Phillips, who has been selected for Guyana's opposition, Trinidad and Tobago, and also uh, a call-up for, for the Wales under-17s for George Abbott. Um, there wasn't actually any mention if Saar had been called up for Senegal, so I-, I was wondering, perhaps reading into that, if that tells us a bit more about the injury that he's uh, that he's got. 
Well, I think, I, yeah, it, it could well do. I think he's going to miss out for Senegal, isn't he? Um, I don't think he's, he's going to be able to go to that one, which is obviously a good thing for us. I think we can, if we can, the more traveling of players we can, we can avoid the better, um, really. So yeah, I think, um, I think Sal will miss that one, but obviously it's a plus for us. Maybe speaking a little bit selfishly from a Watford perspective, but I don't think the hamstring seems to be a massive injury. It sounds like he should be good to go uh, come come the next fixture. So I think if he has that extra break, then yeah, we can all feel pretty pretty positive about that and. Hopefully, this is an opportunity for us to get a few players back and and get our fitness levels kind of ready to go for that final stretch now. Mm. And first time call ups for 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 Gray, Massener and um and Backman um all all deserved. Um, but Adam Adam Massena did pick up a, a slight injury towards the end of the game yesterday, didn't he? So uh, I'm wondering if he's going to be able to to feature Morocco. Do we know anything about that injury at all, Jordan? Looked like a I, I don't know. I, I looked like a back or, or abdominal injury um, from what we saw. In which case it's possible that he plays, but I think there's a good chance he doesn't travel. I, I think, I'm sure there's there's a part, an aspect that's playing into all these players' minds that, you know, you're, you're exposing yourself to added risk um, going abroad and, and playing and having to do this extra travelling um, to not be available when you come back right now. So it's, it's, it's tough. I don't think he will play. Um, I think there's a good chance he stays stays with the squad and is at the training ground. Yeah. Um, also, in terms of Andre Gray, he just declared for Jamaica then because this is his first call-up. This is, otherwise I feel like it would be... Yeah, they've they've gone on a bit of a recruitment spree, haven't they? The Jamaican FA, they've, mm. they've tried to call up something like 15 players that sort of based in England. Um, Mikel Antonio being probably the most high profile and, and, and obviously Andre Gray is one of them. Messina, just I've seen on the Watford Observer earlier, uh, Munoz is uh, not, a, not a big issue, something to do with his back. But, I mean, to be honest, I said yesterday in our WhatsApp group, you, you would hope that he could go and get his cap from Morocco, but from an entirely selfish point of view, if he just wants to have a few days with his feet up, watching whatever he watches on Netflix and uh, ensure that he's going to be 100% A-OK for us for that Sheffield Wednesday game, then I wouldn't be opposed to it, put it that way, especially if he's... I'm not sure where their fixtures are, but you can reasonably assume he's going to play one uh, in Africa. Then I'm quite happy for him not to have to go through that uh, travel. Mm. I'm genuinely just thinking what Adam Asner watches on Netflix now. <laughs> well, we know exactly what Ben Foster watches, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and that leads us into our next segment. <laughs> <laughs> you know what this show is going to be called then? Adam Messina's Netflix. Yeah, Adam Messina's Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll pay to see that list. Adam, Adam, Adam Messina, when he um when he left the field, um, now perhaps this is unfair because previously I haven't actually had anything bad to say about Lazar, but he didn't look that great when he came in yesterday. Was it just me that thought that, or no? I think you're right. I don't think he he didn't look great. I don't think I think he is what we expect him to be. Honestly, I think he's an okay footballer. I don't think he's terrible. He's not played a lot of football, so maybe we should have a little bit more sympathy in that situation and give him a little bit more time to kind of show what he's got but I, I think he's just a body really just to fill in when necessary he's, he's there to kind of fill in that situation where Masner's got a back issue he might normally be able to play through it if we didn't have a a natural left back on the bench but it gives us that flexibility where in a game you're, you're three goals up and you've got an injury you can make that change and you can preserve an asset um, he just needs to come in there and not be disastrous effectively I think it was a much different feeling if we came into a game if Masna was out of the longer term issue I mean I think it's honestly I think it's quite possible that if if Masna was injured that we'd maybe still be quite strongly considering other options at left back outside of Lazar I'm not sure Lazar's nailed on to start if Masna's out um, 
but it you know, that's what it remains to be. Kiko and Ngakia it's, comes in at it's right possible, though, right? Or yeah, or or Ngakia just fills in straight at left back, and you keep that kind of offensive threat that oh, Kiko yeah, has on the right. Yeah. Um, so it's it's I think he's just a body, and that's what that shows in the. The type of deal we were looking for, we weren't actively trying to pursue a, a, a left back or kind of looking at the future for. This is one that's a six month deal, and I don't think it's going to go much longer than that. There's there's not a chance we extend that if we get promoted, um, and I don't think it's going to be one that kind of gets extended either way. Really, um, it's very much similar to a kind of Rob Elliott deal for me. Mm. Um, we're going to talk about Sheffield Wednesday in a moment, but just before that, I just wanted to touch upon uh, something that came out in the news. Um, which was the fact that Rotherham confirmed several cases of COVID uh, in their game post the Watford fixture, which seems ludicrous to me. I'm not quite sure how that how that was even allowed to be, go ahead, considering that that, that was the case. Um, I can only assume that because the Watford fixture went ahead yesterday, that the, there was no COVID cases in in the squad, or do they retrospectively test afterwards? I mean, I suppose it's quite good that we've now got this this break with the internationals that that means that there won't be a fixture anyway but um there's certainly potential that there could be a covid case in the watford squad yeah i i guess there's there is some risk there i presume at this stage we, we probably wanted to just play right rather than having a elongated break so the timing is probably quite good isn't it with the uh with the international break as you say you have to assume everything's fine i must admit i don't know now what they're doing beyond obviously what we see on Ben Foster's YouTube channel where he gets the little temperature check every day when he goes in. I don't know what is kind of mandated in terms of testing and, and so on with the um, with the players any, anymore. And you certainly don't hear of, you know, uh, widespread testing, do you, across the Championship or the Premier League like we were earlier in the season. So, I mean, hopefully it's nothing. You have to assume they're taking all the necessary precautions i'm sure they are and it will be it will be fine but uh but how is that yeah, it, game allowed we, to go ahead though i don't understand if they had still so many cases of covid in in the camp our, our game against them on in the week you yeah know? i don't know to be honest with you. I, assume, I have to assume they uh they were out of the the period right and therefore but, but, but it was the, assumed um, that i don't know didn't didn't the case didn't those um, results come out after the game or am I getting this very wrong here? I'm pretty sure it did, because it was there was a bit of a, it was a bit of a backlash on Twitter, wasn't there? With um, lots of lots of Watford fans saying that's 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 how a game cancelled then for 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 this one against um against Birmingham, but that, it went ahead. So uh, you can only assume was it? I didn't actually see the personnel oh. they announced as having COVID. Was it definitely was it definitely players well, that, that participated in the they game? Didn't, they didn't they didn't announce who it was. I suppose is it possible they took the tests before the game? ones that were positive were omitted and then they were actually announced after the game. Maybe. Maybe. It seemed such a high number, though, that I imagined some of them would have been players. But Otherwise, I feel like a game couldn't have gone ahead against um, against Birmingham, surely. Yeah. But then again, it's. I mean, it's also... it's. I mean, it's a testament to the times, isn't it, that you feel like it's feasible that sort of thing could still happen it still could, could still end up going ahead despite that, so who knows. But... Um... Yeah, that's kind of what I took it as, but I might I might be completely wrong. It's that's the thing though; it's not clear, is it? There's no, no that, then that's that's the frustrating thing. It's not it's not a clear issue. No, it needs it needs to be clearer. We, um, I, I think anyway. But um, anyway, hopefully um, everything's fine and and we can carry on as normal. Sheffield Wednesday up next. Then uh, once all the internationals have been played, and well, they've just beaten Barnsley, one of the one of the four who occupy a playoff spot, and. 
you know, Jordan Rhodes scored twice to ensure that Wednesday got the, the three points. And despite their position, one that doesn't really adequately reflect their season performances, because, of course, they had that points deduction, there'll be a different prospect to what Watford faced uh, against both Rotherham and, and, and Birmingham, even though they're in the same kind of uh, positions table-wise. It's going to be, I think, a tougher prospect against Wednesday. Yeah, they've actually got quite a they're quite an interesting team, really. I mean, against Barnsley, it's it's a huge result against Barnsley because Barnsley have been great. Um, I think maybe you kind of could lean, you could maybe look at the way the two teams match up. I think Barnsley part of what's made them so effective have been that aggressive, ultra aggressive pressing style that kind of gets in the face of the opposition and makes it extremely difficult to play. Um, whereas Sheffield Wednesday going away to Barnsley in the situation they're in, they're quite happy to kind of give up a little bit of the ball and they play a back three their back three system where they're actually still quite direct. They've got, I mean, they were playing yesterday, the front three of Jordan Rose, Callum Patterson and Josh Windass. They're all quite, I mean, Rose is a great poacher in the box and Patterson and Windass are quite physical. They can get that board, ball forward quite direct. And they've got the likes of Barry Bannon, who's very good at kind of spraying that ball around and, and creating some opportunities. So they've got an interesting team. Um, it's something that's going to be maybe more akin to the Cardiff game, um, but they've got a little bit more quality in those forward positions for me. Uh, I, I think they still could be quite a threat. And obviously we know Jordan Rhodes has been quite prolific in the championship and over the years. And he's kind of seemed to find a little bit of form again. Um, so you can't sleep on that at all. Uh, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a tough one. I, I think we have to kind of, we have to find ways to beat these teams. And I, I think we're doing a good job so far of, of, of doing so obviously we're winning the games but I think we're kind of looking quite convincing but as you say this will be a slightly different test that we've a, a different obstacle we've got to overcome Tom? Yeah I don't I'd be interested to I've looked at their sort of numbers for the whole season what I should have done was compared them for the sort of season average versus um, obviously the last month that, that Darren Moore's come in I think there has been an improvement uh, by the looks of it. But, you know, overall this season, they have really struggled for goals, haven't they? They're second bottom for XG per 90. Their post-shot XG is is even worse in terms of shots on target, second worst in the division. They don't seem to get the ball forward uh, particularly well, sort of passes into the final third. They're, they're bottom of the league for that as well. So, but what I, I had highlighted, similar to Jordan, I think, you know, those forward problems, those, those forward players are decent. Obviously, Jordan Rhodes has scored a few goals in quick succession now since since Darren Moore came in. You know, Dean, uh, Dean Windass. Josh Windass has always struck me as a, a decent player as well. Callum Patterson is a, you know, he's quite unique almost. Quite unique is not a thing. He is quite different, isn't he, in so much as he is a very funny shape kind of player and you know very rotund physical you know was a defender really wasn't he and has ended up being a bit of a nuisance striker you know he is going to be difficult uh he's got a few goals and obviously Barry Bannon you know well known at this level good operator Adam Reach loves the world he decent footballer as well you know um they're I think they're almost they're a bit like uh I sort of said about Birmingham I almost feel like they're they're worse than the sum of their parts at the moment. They've got, to my mind, they've got decent players, even if the the numbers are fairly wretched. So, you know, as Jordan Wright said, massive win over Barnsley because they've been in absolutely flying form. Uh, very interesting team. And, you know, obviously uh, a, a Yorkshire derby of sorts to get that result. That would have been a real, real boon for them. So, you know, I'm sure they will come and pay us the kind of respect that a lot of teams pay us at Vicarage Road. But, uh, they're going to be. They're going to have the benefit of another kind of week or so, whatever it is, the international break. 
working on the training ground, aren't they? So I don't I don't think for one second it's going to be an easy game. They're also they're also a kind of team that they're not pushing. They're not their objective isn't to kind of reach the high end of some of the metrics that we're looking at. Um, in terms of you know someone like Jordan Rhodes, they're looking to kind of take those low probability chances when he gets them. Whereas we're trying to create like a quantity of opportunities and they're not really kind of set up for that. And we're quite good at, at being direct. And I mean, again, you talk about kind of numbers, we wouldn't be so pleased about their pass accuracy from from the game against Barnes. It was 48%, um, which is, you know, it just speaks. I mean, Barnes was 49. So it, it's, you know, it's two teams that are kind of playing in a fashion which isn't necessarily the most free-flowing. It's quite quite pragmatic and, and, and looking to try to take those risks but if you can if you can do that effectively then it's beneficial to someone like uh, to Sheffield Wednesday because they have the they have the parts to do so I think you can feel pretty confident in, in Patterson and Windass to be quite troublesome and, and cause havoc and they can be physical and they, they're quite they're quite athletic too it's not just about being brute it's not about brute strength necessarily it's about being able to to push defenders back and, and find space and, and make it hard and someone like Jordan Rhodes if you can get him opportunities in the box he might need one and it can be a difference between you know three points and none and he, he's capable of doing that so I, I think it's something you've got to be really aware of and you've got to try and you've got to try and limit you you got to try and I think the key for us in this game will be not not to be too deep at any point. You need to try and keep that depth quite high because I don't worry too much about about those that, that three getting space kind of behind us. I'd be more concerned about them pushing us back with that kind of direct football from the back three playing it out. If we can stay quite high at the pitch and, and let's try and dominate the ball, I think there's opportunity for us because as I just pointed out there, they're not the most efficient when they are in possession. They're gonna, they, we know how they're going to play. We've got to try and we've got to try and stop that. Um, obviously the main threat for, for that point of view might be Barry Bannon. He is, as you say, a very good operator. He can he can find space where others can't and he, he can be a real threat. But if you can stop him playing, which I'm sure, I'm sure going into this one will be one of the primary thoughts in mind. Um, but we've seen that kind of pressing too in Chalibur and Gosling and cleverly filling that role. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that again, especially as Zinkenegel is out. This is a prime, prime opportunity to 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 stop that build up in, in the deeper areas of midfield by nullifying Barry Bannon. If you do that, you, you give yourself quite a good opportunity to beat them. Do you anticipate them being quite deep? I was just looking at their kind of the, the games under Darren Moore. Um, their kind of defensive action areas map has got the, the centre halves particularly being incredibly deep and even their sort of average positions map in those games the centre halves are all very deep but Liam Palmer's way up on the right hand side sort of above uh, higher up than anyone other than the forwards so I just I just wondered if that was something you'd kind of observed or been aware of yeah I think I think I, I want to go back and watch more of them myself too. But I think from what I understand, they're quite happy to kind of, they're playing a back five. They're quite happy to switch that to almost a four at times if Reach kind of sits back a little bit more in the more traditional kind of mm. left, back, left back position and Palmer's able to, I mean, Palmer's a good athlete. He can get up quite comfortably and he can also get back and, and get into shape as well if needed. So I think maybe they feel pretty, they feel like they've got some some positional versatility in Palmer there, which gives them a few different options, maybe support Patterson a little bit on that right-hand side. Um, but I do think they'll be quite deep. I think they're quite happy to be 
to be deep. Um, I think ultimately they're trying to limit space as much as possible when they've got three centre-backs that, that can do so. I think not having uh, Dominic Iorfa in there is a big miss for them. Um, but yeah. they are capable still defensively to, to hold you out. And I, if, if you're comfortable deep, then that's absolutely fine, I'm sure, against us. When they look at the pace we have, uh, they look at the threat we can have from the wings, I, I imagine they will be deep and they'll look to kind of hit that ball early and they'll try and find space maybe if we, if we leave a little bit on that on our right-hand side, perhaps if, you know, Kiko's quite often on that halfway line or ahead of it uh, for large portions of the games, that might be an area they find and they find some joy in. But it's difficult because, I mean, if if you are going to sit deep, it's it's very difficult to play with a striker like Jordan Rhodes. Um, I think they're finding finding ways to use him. I think that kind of two of Patton and Windass is something that's a little bit different. Uh, You'd generally be expecting someone that has that kind of mobility that that can kind of, compensate for the, for the for the lack of time you're going to have in build-up and someone that can be quite active and, and, and get to those balls a lot quicker than maybe the likes of Jordan Rhodes, who's not perhaps the athlete of, of some of the strikers you see in the championship in these days. But if they can get forward and they only need one or two chances, then that would be ideal because they're not a team, as you say, that's going to create a ton of chances, in which case you need someone that can finish them when they do arrive. And I think Jordan Rhodes is pretty perfect for that. Um, I mean, he, he had two shots. Um, then he had two shots on target and they were the two goals. They've got to be they've got to be clinical um, and we've got to avoid kind of giving them, them opportunities as much as possible. And I think if we do dominate at the ball, we could limit them quite heavily to, to very low amount, a very low amount of chances. And that that's the that's the goal for us. Okay, good stuff. Uh, my thanks to Jordan and to Tom for joining me today. You can find those guys, as always, on Twitter at Jordan Weimer and at TB Burdell. Please also follow us at Watford Pod. And uh, if you haven't done so, leave us a review on iTunes as well. It really, really helps with the statistics to help people to find us on there and uh, and, and carry on uh, listening to us. And hopefully, uh, we can we can build this to be a, a really great pod that everyone enjoys listening to. We'll be back again to chat after the Sheffield Wednesday game. So until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend and week. And uh, enjoy. Jordan, Tom and myself. It's goodbye for now. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.